Hello and welcome to Adam versus the Man on today, Thursday, June 18th, 2020. We are coming to you from Juniper Wood Ranch, Arizona, in the beautiful mountains where we are living. The Garden of Freedom, growing freedom every day, the most appropriate place possible from which to host Adam versus the Man. And now today, we're a little bit, we're a little bit behind on the headlines this week. We've got some catching up today. So today, big clearing of the tabs. We're going to get through a lot of headlines today. Don't let me get off track. I would not be doing my job as your humble servant in the way that I consider myself a journalist trying to give you a fair picture of what's going on in the world, not pretending to embrace any fake standard of objectivism, but to be clear about my intentions, my biases, my tastes, my inclinations, and everything that we are doing to make this an inclusive, collaborative event every single day when we do this show to make sure that you, the viewer, especially thank you to those of you who are watching live right now. Yes, thank you so much. It is so greatly appreciated. Those of you who help make this a collaborative conversation. Those of you who are in the comments talking to Comment Jim Freedom in studio today. CJ, if you would, please. Yo, yo. Our co-host. It's, it's such a weird juxtaposition. I never really appreciated this. But you're still in the dark. We're like inverted images. Mm-hmm. But in like in a lot of ways, we're like you have the light background, I have the dark background. And the, the I'm lit up on the face, and your face is in the shadow. And you, I have the curtain, and you see, like, on your shot, the mess of the rest of the No Force One studios here. See, for those of you getting the audio production, you got to tune in live at least once or twice and uh, see what we're doing with the video here and what CJ has put together with this amazing production. So every day we have Comment Jim Freedom joining us, making sure that your voice is heard. Any any early comments today? You, you guys had a really good conversation backstage before the show. And, and for those of you who don't know, the core team here is Comments and Freedom, myself, and CJ, our intrepid producer from South Dakota. But uh, at, at the production headquarters, the, the nerve center of Adam versus the man, I don't know what you want to – he has different – we'll bring CJ out in a second. But, uh, Jim, what, what's the backstage – Access thing, how does that work? The backstage access is for our Patreon members. Uh, they get into our private chat, and they can also see the live comments from any platform we're streaming on, Twitch, Periscope, YouTube, and Facebook. Uh, five bucks a month on our Patreon gets you access. You can you can get into the Producers Club Telegram chat, have our conversations when we're off the air, and then when we're on the air, that same Telegram, Telegram chat, chat, just a link to the back stream. Uh, to the backstage of what we're doing right now. So you'll just click that link. It'll bring you right here. You can watch the show from here, and you have your own little separate chat bar, which is outstanding. And Jim is watching the Super Chats on YouTube. And if you're if you're not in the backstage area, and Jim can bring up comments from the backstage area as well, but there's something really cool about watching on YouTube right now because of the Super Chat feature. You can give us a dollar, throw a dollar in the tip jar, and you get to the top of the line for uh, 
for your comment. For your comment to be read on the air. So normally, now yesterday we did we we did a contest that you you know, basically we're, we're auctioning off. There's a better way to say it, right? Yeah. It was the auctioned off one membership to the producers club. And by the way, if you're a $50 a month Patreon, you, you get to become a co-producer and you can give yourself whatever title you want at that point. But, uh, and, and you're the front of the line for when we take callers. And today, if we, I know we had some people backstage before the show. If they can make it all the way to the end today, we should, we should get through all these headlines. We'll take some callers out of our backstage today. But, uh, so super chats. Can we do something, a, a little more of a contest to give away? A producers club membership today. Do you, I have I have something that we can, we can do with or without. But did you have something in mind? Well, I was just gonna say, and Corrine, I was. Uh, this is another thing. I was in the private chat yesterday asking the patron members what do they think would be a good contest, a fun contest, you know? Right. And Corrine was just saying something about just like the best comment, whichever comment I read to you. And gives you the most visible this is a favorite comment. Just yeah, you pick. All right, your favorite comment, even paid or unpaid, doesn't matter. All right, your favorite, favorite comment. comment is, the, make sure I write it down. Say that's on the list of most favorites. I'll write so it down. Put your own jokes in there. Yeah, they don't have to be original, right? Rip people off. Quotes from other people. Write some poetry. Whatever. whatever. So, and, and Jim will just inter- chip into the show today. I well then, I guess my. Uh, my my sort of suggestion for what to make me laugh today because before the show, CJ and was it Kareem yeah. this morning? Okay, um, I wasn't looking; I was just listening in. Um, he was t- as I was putting the links together for the show, and he, he used the term Trumplican, and, and Kareem was talking about uh, you know, kind of an impasse that she gets in conversation with conservative family members, right? And CJ was like, yeah, well, we're Trumplicans or Trump, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, we have, like, I, my favorite nickname for Trump is Cheeto Jesus. Because it's, it's, it, it makes fun of his orange skin, the absurdity of it by comparing it to a Cheeto yeah. and calling him Jesus is uh, making fun of, well, that and the way that people worship him, right? But yeah, that he has a Jesus complex or a God complex or, you know, it's a superiority complex of some kind. So it's like it lampoons these, all of these things. It evokes all of these images and concepts with two words, Cheeto Jesus. And you go, <laughs> you can't, like, we, I can't, like, every time I get to say that, like, in a good context, like, I, I can't help but, like giggle and bust up inside, but uh, you know, cadet bone spurs. When we're talking about military issues, as a funny way to point out how he dodged the draft, and like I, it's a weird thing for me to use that because I supported him dodging the draft. Right? I do. I support. Like I wasn't there to support. I'm, he's a little older than me. Um, how, how much older is Trump than me? 70, he's seventy four, right? I'm thirty eight. That's forty six years. He's older than me than I am old. 44, yeah. No, 46. 74? Oh, 34, yeah. Okay, yeah, you're right. No, 36. Oh, no, no, right. It is only 36. Wait. Yeah, he's he's 36 years old. Almost. Okay, I was wrong. No, he's 36 years older than me. I added a decade by accident. 
and I'm 38. So he's, you know, he's he's about he's he's, he's lived about twice as long as yeah. me. Like there, that's the way of thinking about it, right? Um, but I want a I want a better term for Trump supporters, and and, and I want it to to separate the casual and ignorant or low information Trump supporters from the hardcore Trump. I want it to just make fun of the hardcore Trump supporters, right? Uh, to be clear, like Trump worshippers, you know, well, like, is, something, is it, more creative. something more creative, something that, it, you know, similarly invokes or evokes, you know, some more rich imagery or, or complex ideas. So I don't know. Is any other, any so we'll make that the contest then. Uh, so or is this the best agree. comment in general? That's just, I'm just offering like one hint here. It's well, like a yeah, shortcut, yeah, right? Yeah, something they can think about and yeah. start Googling. <coughs> no one's watching right now because they're all Googling funny shit to say. Yeah, they're all like, <laughs> hey, let's make Adam laugh today and, and, and win a membership for the producer's call. It's kind of fun to see that, they, that we have these like this tiered audience now and people who aren't yet $10 a month patrons. Who are, and I get it. A lot of people in our audience are like, if I just watch the show enough times... <laughs> Eventually, I'll be able to sneak in and get get producer club status for five dollars one time, like yesterday. Or eventually, I'll have I'll have the top comment of the day, or I'll win the day, and I can just win the producers club membership. That's cool. I like that. I don't wait though. If you can afford it, you know, excuse me, help us out. Help us grow the show. And if you're watching right now, if you're enjoying this, if you know that what we're covering today and this conversation is really critical to humanity's progress. I mean, I'd like to think that that's what it is. And if it's not, help us make it that. And that's a big part of having people watch live, you know, is telling me if they think I'm wrong, if I'm missing some aspect of the story, um, you know, any of any of those things. Uh, th- those are our favorite comments, right? The ones that when people go, Adam, you forgot, Adam, no, you're wrong because you missed this or that or whatever. And, like, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm looking forward to interviewing Jeff Dice next week, hopefully. It looks like that's in the works now. After, uh, you know, I did the video segment last, uh, was it earlier this week? Yeah, it was, I think it was Monday. Uh, about his position on Chaz. Yeah. And him being, like, just barely on one, him being, like, barely again. I mean, you can look at this and go, you know, they seized private property, but did they, did they you know, and that was part of it, Right. And this really comes down to the crux of, as a, as a libertarian, can you support even just the action of declaring independence, right? Because if it was done entirely by stealing part. Like, if you walked on my land over here and staked out your campground, I was like, fuck you, Adam. I'm declaring. Now. I'm declaring. Excuse me. F you, Adam. I'm sorry, you too. Uh, you know, Facebook, it's, it's cool, Mark. Uh, no, like, you just said, screw you, Adam. I'm, I'm, I'm taking my little campsite and declare my independence and I'm calling them, I'm like, this is my property, what are you doing? This is this is not righteous. Correct? But with Chaz, it's complicated. And like with the even with the American Revolution, the the, the American Declaration of Independence, if you want to say, well you're gonna fundamentally support that because it was a it was a large political body, you know, declaring independence. But even then, like if you if you really want to invoke the well it wasn't perfectly in respect for property rights argument I'm getting. I'm warming myself up for, for for debating Jeff Dice. I think here, uh, if you want to take that argument, like, well, 
you 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 know you have to oppose the Chaz because it 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 didn't perfectly adhere to property rights principles, or it didn't even in the majority of it adhere to property rights principles. You could look at the American Declaration of Independence that same way and say, well, first of all, only white landowning males were allowed to vote or really have any say in this process, and it, it wasn't like there was a poll. Like you know, they, they, there's the people bragging about three percent, and that's great. You know, when it's a righteous cause, that three percent can win a revolutionary war, essentially. But was it with the consent? Was there some you know some? I mean, if I recall. It, for the revolution, it was a third of the population was for it, for independence, a third was neutral, and a third was against. If I'm wrong on that, someone please look that up and correct me. Uh, I'm going to finish the point. we got a super chat. But if, if you think about what, what about the what about the loyalists? There were a lot of British loyalists still living in the colonies who, by the standards of the day, owned... You know, I mean, under the, the, with the grace of the king, right? The permission of the sovereign, <clears throat> King George III. But there were, there were loyalist property owners in the colonies at the time of the Declaration of Independence. And to say, well, what about the private property owners in Chaz who don't want to be a part of Chaz? They want to be a part of the city of Seattle. Well, Sorry, like it's yeah, it's not perfect. You make an omelet, you break some eggs. There's probably you know their property rights can still be respected in this new property or in this in this new sovereign. And if they and in Chaz, if they want to, they can at least as a block perhaps. If you're if you're a block of private, I don't know. Like I I kind of I want to look into this before talking to Jeff about this. And and again, it's actually if uh, here I'll ask the audience and maybe we'll pull it up in the show today. If someone would. We're finding an article that, that has a breakdown of this, of the property that's within the chats. Like, we can say seizing the parks and the streets, right? Because those, those are government, you know, the streets, you know, there's a, like, if you're against it as a private property owner, you should have access to your property. But it's such a small area, you know, could, you know you'd have to kind of do it as blocks. But could you, you you say that the claiming of the parks and the roads and the government buildings is totally legitimate for anybody who's a you know lawful citizen or taxpayer. You know, there's two arguments here, and this was the, these are the ones that Jeff Dice covered in his article: the Blockian and the Hoppian criteria. Right? That Block Walter Block, professor from Loyola University, my friend there, says that uh, you know I, I consider Hans Hermann Hoppe a friend as well. We met once at, at, at a conference in Malta; it was a lot of fun. Um, interesting guy. Blocks a lot, a lot more of, of, of a true friend of mine, though. I, I really do appreciate Walter's uh, personality and contribution to the movement as well. And he, uh, he would say, well, if it's government, it's, it's essentially unknown because it's stolen and called public by the government. Now, you, you, I, I, I have a sort of caveat to that, which would say that, you know, if the government has its own and none of the people who have been taxed to pay for it make any claim to it, then it's unowned, it's open to being homesteaded as much as unclaimed land, right? But there's the, the Hoppian argument, too, of the, the taxpayer. And 
I think this satisfies both criteria. The, the hopping criteria is a little more complicated than that. But anyway, the point is that with Chaz, if they're if it's a group of taxpayers saying, you know, we're just we just kind of want our share of what we've paid in for. This is kind of what we think is appropriate, and you know, we're taking it and we took it. And if you want it back, you, you're going to have to take it by force, and we'll probably resist peacefully. I mean, they do have arms guards at the Chaz. I, they're not going to get into a shooting war if Seattle like. Seattle cops could show up with riot gear and no firearms and pepper spray, and the armed resistance of Chaz would clear out. Like, they're not really they're, – they're doing a security thing. It's more symbolic. When they push the police out, that was real. And that they're asking to maintain that, that's real. To the extent that they would forcibly resist it, they're not pretending – and like we here at the Garden of Freedom, we would when we declare sovereignty, we're not going to pretend to be like if we declare war with the United States. And no, it's going to be as much as we can peaceful, cooperative, and you know any resistance will be entirely nonviolent. And I think it, I think that's an important part of you know the new micro nation movement that I'm seeing developing that I want to be a part of that I that I want to help encourage other people to join. So if they're Taking in all of this property in the Chaz, if it's government property, yeah, totally legitimate. If it's private property, if it's within that, can you say, sorry, we're still claiming this essential territory and most of the people in this area are consenting and going along with it. We're going to respect your private property here in the Chaz. We're going to allow you to, to say that you own it privately as an individual and sell it. We're not going to do like a communist freak although they might try. And that, that would be something separate from declaring, again, the declaring independence. Still righteous in and of itself. Still, you know, fundamentally righteous. I can't, I can't and yeah, I can't, I, I still come down on the side of barely but enthusiastically supporting the core action uh, of Chaz itself. And this is another hot topic. Maybe people have a good, if you just want to win the Producers Club status with a good comment or insight on this. See, like the comparison to the American Revolution, I hadn't really considered the property rights analysis until just turning it over my head, but I think it's a really valuable one. Anyway, on the show yesterday, we saw a clip from CJ from a short film called Don't Be a Sucker from 1943. Actually, the 1947 re-edit, remake of this film. CJ, do you have that handy? Can we pull that up again? I think it's short enough that it's worth actually watching uh, that clip again. In, in this article from Vox, it's got the whole uh, 1947 version, which is uh, 17 minutes, 26 seconds. But I think this, the, the clip that CJ had yesterday was was a really good summary, right, Jim? We yeah. watched, so we we looked for, we, we thought, okay, we're looking for a film. <laughs> so we did a YouTube search just for Don't Be a Sucker, because that's what that clip was. And we, we looked for the longest clip that was convenient, wow. and there was a two-hour version. That's not it. That was something else. It was, it was an actual Army and it's U.S. Department of War training film. Um, but the... And I think it's mislabeled on YouTube. Yeah. I think that one is actually called Sucker Bait. And it's just about how Nazi spies get information 
from American troops and goes to the theme of loose lips sink, sink ships and there are a bunch of those original propaganda and not propaganda that's a prop. I mean it's not really that's loose lips sink ships is that a propaganda that's propaganda I mean you're getting an idea out it's not in and of itself devious it's, it's a military security thing which you know obviously they shouldn't be they're, they're getting security for something they shouldn't be doing it in the first place but uh the, the the video that we're actually talking about, interestingly, comes from the same era. And we're going to get to this Vox article that provides some, some really interesting insight about the effectiveness of this and why we're hearing about it now and why it's gone viral in recent times. So, CJ, go ahead and please play that short clip. This is an excerpt from the 1947 version of the film, the whole thing being 17 and a half minutes. This one is, um, what, two or three, CJ? I happen to know the facts. My friends, I'm just an average American. But I'm an American-American. And some of the things I see in this country of ours make my blood boil. I see people with foreign economy. I see Negroes holding jobs that belong to me and you. Now I ask you, if we allow this thing to go on, what's going to become of us real Americans? I've heard this kind of talk before, but I never expected to hear it in America. The truth about Negroes and foreigners. The truth about the Catholic Church. Do you believe in this kind of talk? That all makes pretty good sense to me. And I tell you, friends, we'll never be able to call this country our own until it's a country without. Without what? Yeah, without what? Without Negroes. Without alien foreigners. Without Catholics. Without Freemasons. You know, what's wrong with the Masons? I'm a Mason. Hey, that fellow's talking about me. And that makes a difference, doesn't it? These are your enemies. These are the people who are trying to take over our country. Now you know them. You know what they stand for. And it's up to you and me to fight them. Fight them and destroy them before they destroy us. Thank you. Before he said Mason, you were ready to agree with him. Well, yes, but he was talking about... What about those other people? But in this country, we have no other people. We are American people. What about you? You aren't American, right? I was born in Hungary, but now I am an American citizen. And I have seen what this kind of talk can do. I saw it in Berlin. How were you doing there? I was a professor at the university. I heard the same words we have heard today. But I was a fool then. I thought Nazis were crazy people, stupid fanatics. But unfortunately, it was not so. You see, they knew that they were not strong enough to conquer a unified country. So they split Germany into small groups. They used prejudice as a practical weapon to cripple the nation. Of course, that was not easy to do. They had to work hard to do it. You see, we human beings are not born with prejudices. Always they are made for us. Made by someone who wants something. Remember that when you hear this kind of talk. Somebody is going to get something out of it. And it isn't going to be you. This is the kind of thing that, you know, really makes my heart swell with pride in Americanism. 
not not America. I, I you know, yes, that too. But for the the deeper ideal that to me is a, an important part of of what this country is supposed to represent, the ideals behind it. So to the Vox article now, it's very important to examine, you know, the general effects of these kinds of things. You know, my my undergraduate degrees in psychology, my enthusiasm was for social and, and behavioral and developmental psychology, but especially these kinds of, uh, you know, like studies like this with a survey that they're referencing in this article that get into the effects of something like this. So in the hours following the Unite the Right white supremacist rally in Charlottesville in August of 2017, a short propaganda film called Don't Be a Sucker, First Bruce in 1943 by the U.S. Department of Defense and then re-released in 1947, went viral on the Internet, and in the months since, it's been repeatedly invoked on Twitter as a prescient harbinger of our current reality 75 years after its creation. Now, the Unite the Right rally, I like when CJ played this, I had no idea. You know, like, I, I was just like, well, yeah, it's relevant. It's kind of interesting that's coming up, you know. But this is why. And I have, like, weird connections with the Unite the Right rally, where, you know, I have a, a former colleague who was heavily involved in that with Chris Cantwell, and, you know, who, who calls me his favorite Jew while, you know, he was, this is the one with the Dickie Georges, where they're chanting, Jews will not replace us. And it was this, it, it, it was, you know, really exactly like that dude in the video, the, in, in, in black and white, I'm, I'm just a regular American, these jobs, you know, and Jews will, it, it's this weird new American nativism that's this inescapable tribalist mentality that even if you say like, well, we're creating a tribe that's anti-tribalist, right? Like that's what America was. Like if, if you, you know, and, and, and as much as I want to look at history from the libertarian revisionist perspective, that includes the evil motives of the people organizing government and writing the history, the, the victors, right, you know, his story. Well, uh, and, and I don't mean that in a gendered sense. It's just it's the victors. The victors write the history, right? They, they, and we, we are able to look back and see that that's not the truth most of the time, or that the truth is, is, is some version of that. And it, it usually reveals that, in, like in the case of American history, that the uh, people who wrote the Constitution uh, were doing something actually illegal under the Articles and creating a greater concentration of wealth and power, and that they, it really was an excuse to codify slavery, uh, central bank, taxation, a standing army, and you know, intellectual property, all these other anti-freedom ideals baked into the Constitution that weren't in the Articles of Confederation. And it's, when I watched this documentary, when you know, we watched the whole thing last night uh, with, with the crew here at the Garden of Freedom, and I recommend people go watch the, the whole version. It's a, it's a fun film, 17 and a half minutes. You know, I I was not thinking, you know, about uh, the parallel with Unite the Right or, you know, where we are today. And what I was instead attuned to Especially in hearing that guy's uh, talk, the, the, the Hungarian, the, the older gentleman on the park bench, to the younger guy hearing the speech, the Mason, 
you know, I'm I'm thinking, you know, this is uh, the, America did represent an undeniable, beautiful paradigm shift for humanity. Of well, we don't need kings. We 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 can we can decentralize power. You know, even if we even if we failed to a large degree in the execution, right? And where we are today, certainly. Hard to say that we're living up to any of those ideals. So, created as a warning against creeping fascism and racism in the United States, the movie illustrates the divide-and-conquer method employed by German Nazis. It was originally created by Army Signal Corps to raise morale. Uh, edited version was later produced. This was the after-the-war version to be shown widely for educational purposes, including in cinemas. So, there was a, in, in a public opinion quarterly analysis of the film's effectiveness. And we're going to get into this study, and this is, this is really a, as, as this article says, chilling to the negative effects of this. So, skipping ahead to the section, in the late 1940s, two researchers set out to study the limits of Don't Be a Sucker. At the film's more public release in 1947 and 1948, Cooper and Dinerman, working with the Department of Scientific Research of the American Jewish Committee at the Institute of Social Research, explored how viewers' attitudes were affected by the film, particularly those of high school students. Findings published 1951 they divided a group of high school students into a control and experimental group, right? One watched the film, one didn't. Four weeks later, they asked a questionnaire to both groups. There were questions related to the message of the film and, of course, control questions. And they divided up the answers by factors, including the participants' religious identity, although, you know, when you go back to 19... Uh, 50, 51, or 1947, 1948, when they're doing the study, much less diverse, uh, you know, ideological crowd than we have today. So they mentioned Jews, Catholics, Protestants. So, you know, pretty simplistic breakdown, definitely leaving some people out. Each group responded strongly to the presentation of their particular religious group being isolated and persecuted by Nazis. The film also appeared to have an effect on American-born Protestants who were somewhat prejudiced against Catholics and Jews after seeing the film they were about half as likely as the control group to agree with the statement that in times of depression, it is only right that jobs should be given first to people born in America. So that's a, that's a huge positive impact, right? At least in those demographics, major shift. Still, the numbers seem a bit surprising. After seeing the film, a quarter of the American-born Protestants in the experimental group agreed that people born in America deserved preferential treatment contrasted with fully half the same segment of the control group. So again, another, you know, positive shift, but not, not that big. But here's the surprise boomerang effect. Don't be a sucker desensitized some viewers to the threat of fascism in America. But the researchers also found a boomerang effect in their subjects, which they define as the film having the opposite of its intended effect. They identified four specific Boomerang effects that Don't Be a Sucker had on the viewers in their study. 
But the most interesting for our time is this. Cooper Diamond discovered that students who viewed the film were more likely to agree with the statement that what happened in Germany under the Nazis could never happen in America. So, essentially agreeing with the premise of the film, but then it's a complacency effect. When the message was, hey, America, we got to watch out for this. This is something that human beings do. Although maybe the case wasn't made this broadly. It was, hey, this is something that happened in Germany, and it could happen here, too. We have a lot of Germans here. We have a lot of people with the same, you know, inclinations. But we got to be better, and we can be better. And then, how, you know, a chunk of the people go, yeah, we're better. Uh, we don't have to worry about that. I'm like, what? This is like, you know, idiocracy effect. And the funny thing, to connect it to the other film that we watched last night, it was showing Germans laughing. Like, it, it, was, and it was American actors in a U.S. department. It was obviously American soldiers pretending to be Germans, pretending to be Americans. Sorry for this confusing sidebar here. Just remember, this is a related film that was just a training film for U.S. soldiers that you can also find on the Internet now. And it shows them playing these German officers laughing at Americans and how much they're sucker, you know, letting, you know, and, and, and in a sense you go, crap. <laughs> yeah, America does have an overconfident complacency, arrogant streak almost that does have this negative effect. So, this is actually, so the box now says, this is actually the direct opposite of the film's intended message. The researchers attribute it to the fact that, well, don't be a sucker takes pains to show the extent of the Nazis' cruelty. It only showed one parallel to 1947 America, a man on a soapbox in square, ranting about foreigners and Negroes to a skeptical crowd. You know, so that's the thing is in the documentary, maybe, maybe they screwed up in the scripting and saying and showing that when someone tried this in America, they're talking to a diverse crowd, and there's they show there's a black man in the crowd. You see, saw that in the clip, right? There's a black man in the audience going like shaking his head, going, <laughs> and it's not like the people, the white guys next to him are going like, yeah, lynch this guy. They're just like standing next to him, taking in the words. So, um, though the American was going to say only the German commanded the respect of a crowd. One man seems half convinced by the argument, Mike, but the subjects of the study found him weak, gullible, and passive. Mike only balks when the soapbox speaker rails against Masons. Mike himself is one, but he is quickly talked down by the Hungarian refugee. The implication to many viewers was that American fascists are ineffectual and silly, quite different from their German counterparts, no matter how similar their ideology might be. The uh, studies showed that students saw the man on the soapbox as a lame brain, someone who smart Americans knew to be a fraud and not worth their time. So they tested the statement with their questionnaire by including the statement, in America, hardly anyone would listen to a man trying to spread race hate, and to their surprise, they noticed a definite boomerang effect toward complacency among the students who were less prejudiced against people who were different from them. So maybe, 
Yeah, it was, so here's the number. 29% of the students who had seen the film agreed with the statement compared to 19% in the control group, uh, which was quite startling. So the statement being, in America, hardly anyone would listen to a man trying to spread race aid. So, I mean, maybe the, the, the film would have been more effective if what they had done was shown a group of these people, you know, splitting off and forming a KKK chapter. They have a cooler term. The KKK has all the silly cool terms, right? Grand Wizard and Dragon. Yeah, all, all, their, all their silly titles, right? So, of course, the, student, the study participants were high school students whose lives had so far been dominated by the looming threat of Nazis over there, but who as teenagers had naturally been immature in their understanding of the ideas that caused the heinous violence and who had driven the conflict. They'd become desensitized. Well, you know, back then you got to remember also that the amount of information that you got was much narrower, not just a lower amount of information. I mean, yeah, I guess you get as many books and, and newspapers to read as you could in a day, but it was a, a narrower scope of news by a long shot and a much more controlled flow of news back then. And so here's the here's the uh, you know the conclusion that they draw with this article. Americans haven't stopped thinking they're too good to be taken in by fascist and racist ideas. Cooper and Dinerman's paper goes on to evaluate the way Don't Be a Sucker delivers its message, the limitations of its casting and its audience reach, and how future films of that ilk might convey their arguments more effectively. But two of their insights in particular seem striking in the context of today's resurgence of white nationalist rhetoric. Don't Be a Sucker's viewers thought Americans were too smart to be taken in by fascists and they were reluctant to draw parallels between Nazi rhetoric abroad and racist anti-immigration rhetoric at home. You can hear echoes of this during the Charlottesville events in 2017, where there were expressions of shock over events that many people had forecasted. The This Is Not Us hashtag trending on Twitter that insisted the white supremacists who gathered in Charlottesville are not representative of most Americans or the president's initial refusal to specifically condemn the white supremacists who marched in his name. Both well-meaning and more pernicious sentiments abounded that Americans are better than this, that the so-called alt-right are poor and ignorant, rather than well-off and educated, that the actions of the Confederacy during the Civil War and of neo-Nazis today are anomalies, and the perpetrators should go home. But, Joe... Tolentino at the New Yorker wrote following the rally, the belief that America is somehow better than its white supremacist history is sometimes an excuse masquerading as encouragement. And it's part of the reason why the KKK is back in business. What happened in Charlottesville is less an aberrant travesty in a progressive enclave than it is a reminder of how much evil can be obscured by the appearance of good. To be wooed by authoritarian, fascist, divide-and-conquer rhetoric is to be a sucker. But to think we're too smart to be fooled that it's only crazies and lunatics who fall for this stuff is what makes suckers of us all. And I would never take the historically devoid perspective that suggests Trump is as bad as Hitler and that, you know, we're on the verge of another World War II and Holocaust or, you know, whatever the greatest evils of humanity under this are, because you have to keep in mind the progress of humanity as 
You know, the decline in violence described by Harvard professor Steven Pinker makes undeniable that as bad as it was then, it will never be. Well, it'll 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 overall the overall trend. I, I got you got to be careful with this, right? It's a jagged line that when you zoom out is a clear, you know, exponential decline in human violence. We're living in the most peaceful times in human history, and that's a beautiful thing to celebrate. As Mark Twain said, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. And there's the old adage, you know, the one thing we learn from history is that we never freaking learn from history. When you say history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes, I think, think of a, you know, it's, there's a cycle, right? There's, a, there's a, a lifespan of empires that's part of this spiral, the Roman Empire, the, well, the Persian Empire, the, I guess you go back, I mean, throughout history, I mean, even off the top of my head, you go back to, to the great Mongol hordes of, of Attila and the Chinese empires and even the the empires of Africa uh, before you get to the Roman Empire, before you get to the British Empire, before you get to the Soviet Union, before you get to the United States. There's a spiral of progress, of ascension that's happening. And I would argue that with each revolution of the spiral, of this turn of human events, the gap between the rings gets bigger and bigger. We learn more and more meaningful things with each cycle of history. And it's not that Trump represents an aberration. It's just, oh yeah, we're going around to that crappy part of the cycle again where this tendency of nativism, of nationalism, of tribalism is rearing its ugly head. And I I, I don't see Trump's brand of nationalism or the nationalism behind him having the momentum or the, or the room to, 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 to ignite a bigger fire of, of hatred in society. The fuel's not there. The ignorance isn't there. The lack of perspective uh, of communications technology, of being connected by the World Wide Web. What was the last time you heard it called that instead of just the www. <laughs> we don't even say that anymore, right? Look how far we've come. No, obviously there's there's a bigger point of look how far we've come and I'm, I'm excited to cover this with a slightly more optimistic perspective and say well now we're learning uh, oh yeah now now we're correcting on this point too and in so many other ways history doesn't repeat but it rhymes humanity progresses we're at that rhyming point perhaps the, perhaps the point of the spiral we are at is the end of the sentence, in which it rhymes with the prior sentences. And the sentence is a spasm of hate, a spasm of division and nationalism and tribalism and division, followed by an uptick that puts us on a course to make sure that the distance between the next punctuation point and the one prior is further than the gaps before it. That's a pretty exciting, positive spin on this 
troubling era that we find ourselves in the midst of. And now we have some super chats. Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. I didn't I didn't know that we were gonna go so long on that. CJ, if you want to come up on screen here too, CJ had a uh, a comment in here. He wanted to point out for himself, right, that was responsive because because like I used your term Trumplican. You wanted to explain this. Yeah, Trumplican would be proper vernacular when defining Republicans, uh, and uh, that I should be say that question Trump uh, or that wouldn't. That that question, Trump, uh, or that excuse me, this isn't even written right. My bad. They uh, would never question Trump. The that would never, Trump yeah, they would never question yeah. Trump. And in a Stalin-like, long-live Trump, be shot in the face by the thin blue line, as they're saying, "Long-live Trump." That is yeah, a okay, Trump looking. Okay. okay, I get. You know, I had it. I I didn't consider that it was a combination, a portmanteau. Of Trump and Republicans specifically right. that have those—that's a really good. It, it, you know, it's it's good for the one word. I'll start using it like that. I still think we can do better. With it's like to a separate the Republicans here. that question him from the Republicans right. that are undying okay. Trumplicans for right, the rest of right, their right. life. Right, right, Trump loyalists. All right, so to right. the super chats, if you would get these up on screen, yes, please, sir. CJ. Hear him them for five dollars. And by the way. Giving me money for Adam versus the man generally is, is going to make me like your comments more. You know, we're doing the, the general contest today for producers, for winning a, a membership of the Producers Club. Is this top comment, Adam's favorite comment. You, you still get to the front of the line with a super chat to interrupt the show. And I'll, I'll probably like your comment more. Here in Bifidum for $5 chips in here. I still need that map to get across the 69th Street Bridge. I don't want to end up like Fresno Bob. Here's a follow-up to clarify. Okay. Here in Bifidum at 920. According to James Hawk of the United States Police Force, the 69th Street Bridge is filled with landmines. That's what he's saying. That's why he says he needs a map to cross the 69th Street Bridge, because he doesn't want to get blown up. I don't know any of this. That's what he's saying. (laughs) Scary. Is Fres- Fresno Bob is a reference? Do you know what that is? That sounds like a reference to Baghdad Bob. Like instead of like, and I, Baghdad Bob is an awesome meme that I wish had stuck around, but it didn't. It kind of died out. I mean, if we're reviving it now with with Fresno Bob, like, so for those of you who, because it's at this point, it's like shit. I'm old. I've been doing this too long. This is an historical reference to the invasion of Iraq in 2003, Saddam Hussein's minister of propaganda was putting out these ridiculous videos as American troops were marching into Baghdad and everything was getting bombed to hell, going, everything's okay, we're winning, nothing to see here, the American troops will never take Baghdad. There it is, there it is, thank you, CJ, nothing to see here, everything is positive. That was Baghdad, Bob. CJ, can you do a, a quick Google image search for me for Fresno Bob to do uh, Hiram Bifidum's comment justice here, please? <laughs> All right, we've got it – was, that was the first super chat going back to 9.15. We were at 9.50. Man, really catching up. Uh, Draco Chainmail, Trumpa Loompas. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. He's, he's been coming up with followers that are singing to like Trump 
uh, Loompa Doompa Dee Doo. Trump or we'll ignore you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, the Troubadour. We get, is there a song? He's this is not a. This can't be a no. This can't be original. Born out of Draco Chainmail's creativity during Anniverse of the Man. No way. Someone has come up with the term Trumpa Loompas before. I'm I'm betting there's a song already, and that we're doing original lyrics and building that out. That's great, but um, you know, let's is is, is there one already? If not, let's make one. Let's make a Trumpa Loompa song. I'll bet there is one. All right, was that another super chat on the screen? I don't no, see any more. Oh, there's only two. Okay. So, Trumpa Loompas, Orange Tiny. Orange Tiny Hands, Blindly Follow the Group, Plastic Comb-Overs, yep. Cover of Everything Going Wrong While Their Leader Gives Away the Candy Store. I'm, I'm where, where Trumpa Loompa, Doompity Doo, Everything Trump Does Looks Good to... Oh, Trumpa Loompa, Doompity Dee, Everything Trump Does Looks Good to... Ah, I screwed up. Looks good to me, yeah. <laughs> I can sing it. I can sing it. Donald Trump song. He has one pulled up here. Yeah, oh, there is. Oh, I knew it there had to be one. Thank you, Internet. What a beautiful thing it is. Roll Very tape, nice season. Donald D. Trump, I'll build a wall and put his signings in the dump. Oompa, doompa, Donald D. D. If you're retarded, you listen to me. What will you do with the daughter you phone? Put down a side with a very small loan. What will we do when the country turns dumb? Just say you want them to eat. Ripped your bums. He'll take you by the balls and sing Oompa Doompa Donald D. Trump Fight at his rallies because it is fun Oompa Doompa Donald D. Clump Take it out the rear if you vote for Trump ah, I love it, I love it ah, Yeah, someone beat us to it Yeah, not surprising Someone beat us to it Alright uh, any other hot comments before we – we haven't even gotten to a single headline, really. We covered one story. Yeah, you better move to headline. All right, all right. So from MSN.com, from the New York Times, Peter Baker, Bolton says House should have investigated Trump for impeachable actions beyond Ukraine. And this is a story I've been – holding off on covering because I don't want to get to Trump drama every day. But this story, I think, is coming to a head. This is a really exciting time. John R. Bolton, the former National Security Advisor, says in his new book that the House, in its impeachment inquiry, should have investigated President Trump not just for pressuring Ukraine to incriminate his domestic foes, but for a variety of instances when he sought to intervene in law enforcement matters for political reasons, which sounds like Trump, right? But let, let's go back to this Ukraine thing. If you recall, this was the Democrats' attempt to impeach Trump. And they, of course, they, they got the vote to impeach, which is to uh, create the hearing, not to convict him, which is the vote that happens under the impeachment trial that then happens in the Senate. 
And I, I, this is a propaganda stunt for the Democrats. I don't think they really actually wanted to impeach him, right? And even before that, they, they were looking, they, they were throwing stuff at the wall, right? A lot of Democrats in Congress, well, we could impeach Trump for this. We could impeach him for that. And for some reason, they, they went with this Ukraine thing. I mean, why? It resonated with voters because it was, oh, they're going after Biden. Biden's our boy. He was Obama's vice president, and Obama was our savior. So, well, still is, right? Obama's God to the Democrats. So Biden is, is at least an angel. How dare Trump use the Ukrainian government? You know, so that, you know it was, they looked at polling. You know, that's how they chose the issue to go after him on impeachment for. They didn't go after him for all of the other illegal things that would have impeached them or, you know, uh, incriminated them in the minds of the American public that they're both guilty for, that they support. Like, you know, all the various unconstitutional financial things, the ripoffs, the military power, the, the the police state, the surveillance state, the power of government as a whole. Like, these are, there are things that they've, they, they, they would all be, uh, they've all done in violation of the Constitution that certainly constitute high crimes or misdemeanors by any objective standard, especially if Trump's phone call I mean, you go, really? Anybody looking at it goes, this is all political posture, which is why, you know, I'm generally pretty careful to avoid getting bogged down with the palace intrigue. Mr. Bolton describes several episodes where the president expressed willingness to halt criminal investigations, quote, to, in effect, give personal favors to dictators he liked, citing cases involving major firms in China and Turkey. Quote, the pattern looked like obstruction of justice as a way of life, which we couldn't accept, Mr. Bolton writes, adding that he reported his concerns to Attorney General William P. Barr. The book, The Room Where It Happened, was obtained by the New York Times in advance of its scheduled publication next Tuesday and has already become a, a political lightning rod in the thick of an election campaign and a number one bestseller on Amazon.com even before it hits the bookstores. The Justice Department filed a last-minute lawsuit against Mr. Bolton this week, seeking to stop publication, even as Mr. Trump's critics complained that Mr. Bolton should have come forward during impeachment proceedings rather than save his account for a $2 million book contract. Wow! Cashing out! Well, that might explain this, but you have to wonder, is... Mr. Bolton worried about his personal security at this point. How many very powerful people did he just throw under a bus? So the last-minute lawsuit, I have to wonder about this. They knew there was going to be a Streisand effect on it, right? They had to have known that this, that this is going to backfire, right? That they're not going to – this is going to just make more people want to read it. Could they, could they stop the paperback from getting out? Could they, you know, like, it, it's already out apparently on Amazon. You can order this. So why would they do that? Either they're setting up the Trump strategy. So Trump could be, I think he could be going one of two ways with this, right? That this is an attempt to discredit the book so that when they pursue legal action against Bolton later personally, they say, well, we, we did do something we could have as opposed to, you know, we let it go. But really, it's it's too late. Streisand effect is in effect. While other books by journalists, lower-level former aides, and even an anonymous senior official have revealed much about the Trump White House, Mr. Bolton's volume is the first tell-all memoir by such a high-ranking official who participated in major foreign policy events and has a lifetime of conservative credentials. 
It is a withering portrait of a president ignorant of even basic facts about the world, susceptible to transparent flattery by authoritarian leaders manipulating him, and prone to false statements, foul-mouthed eruptions, and snap decisions that aides try to manage or reverse. Sounds like a compelling and accurate condemning picture. Here's how Trump would try to spin it, I think. This is, I mean, this is what, how I would. If, 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 I, if I had to, you know, directly counter this in some way, and these specific accusations about intervention or inappropriate handling of foreign affairs and intervention in uh, criminal cases, I, w- I would say, well, <laughs> presidents have been doing this for all of American history. I'm just being a little more open and honest about it. You want me to stop? Let's stop the practice and address it. Fine, let's make legal safeguards. But you can't come after me for using language that describes openly what Americans have, American presidents have been doing semi-openly, where they just hide their responsibility for it rhetorically for you know all of modern American history. Uh, and in that sense, I, you know, I'm, it's kind of like maybe it's a good thing. You know, I, I'm maybe I'm seeing a silver lining here that. Well, hey, we elected a reality star TV, uh, a reality TV star for president. He's going to be ignorant about some things, and he's going to go in with, well, this is how it's done, right? How is how we're doing it? I mean, as uh, people have done it before, right? I'm just, this is my version of it. Oh, that's illegal. Well, I'm only doing the same, my version of what everybody else, I'm really not crossing any other legal line. And on the whole, you know, I want to be optimistic here. You know, in terms of what Trump represents, you know, while there is this spasm of nationalism and and hatred and division around Trump, does does he really represent a bucking of the trend of the American government still, despite World War II and Vietnam and and the global war on terror? I mean, still, this is a decline in the viciousness and violence of the U.S. government racket as a whole, the federal government specifically, I don't think Trump represents a huge departure from that. In some ways, there's some steps backwards. You know, he's this 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 point of rhyming in American history and in the, in the spiral uh, ascension uh, of human progress. Is it a meaningful dip? I, I don't know. I, is it launching us on a better trajectory? Oh, yeah. And that's why I'm covering this story. That's why I think it's exciting to see what change is going to come about from this, what examination of presidential powers is going to happen in the national conversation, what reform might come from this, what lessons might we, I mean, of course, we can learn all the lessons that we want for those of us who really want to learn and are paying attention, but what lessons will be unavoidably baked into the American paradigm and consciousness as a result of this next episode, which I think is going to be a defining part of American history in this year's story. It's going to be, hey, there was the coronavirus, then there was George Floyd, then there was the John Bolton book. Yeah, like it it, it might be that significant as part of the narrative of, of this year in American history. Mr. Trump did not seem to know, for example, that Britain is a nuclear power and asked if Finland is part of Russia, Mr. Bolton writes. He came close and, like, that's not condemning. Most Americans are going to relate to that, right? Like, <laughs> being ignorant about foreign affairs, typical. Like, did, did did the American people in betting Trump for president go, 
do you really know enough about foreign affairs? No, they said, do you have the right attitude that represents us? Do you make me like you? And he did, and he made them like him as the, the alpha male that was the leader that, that they thought they needed and wanted. During Mr. Trump's 2018 meeting with North Korea's leader, according to the book, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo slipped Mr. Bolton a note disparaging the president, saying he is so full of shit. A month later, Mr. Bolton writes, Mr. Pompeo dismissed the president's North Korea diplomacy, declaring that there was zero probability of success. Well, again, even that, okay, so Pompeo disagrees. I, I, I hate to find myself def- defending Trump so much, but uh, it was a, it was, if, if your publicity stunt is peace and diplomacy, as opposed to war and hatred, I'm going to say, yeah, like, yeah, it's, that's a good message. You're doing, you're, you're like Trump, if, even if you want to say Trump's North Korea, and I praised him at the time, too. If all of Trump's North Korean outreach was a pure propaganda stunt, or, you know, the, the, the publicity stunt that had no possibility of immediate diplomatic change, I still support it. Because what, because what is, what's the point of it? It's to set up the real manifestation of that message later. So if he were to do, you know, a publicity stunt that's the opposite, like you haven't seen Trump, for example, what would be what would be like the opposite of that? Trump going to the Mexican border wall and shoving, you know, a Mexican off the fence, or or you know, telling the, the president of Mexico to keep like that would you know keep out and and you know instead he, he Trump still maintains for all of his nationalism and division and, 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 you know, racist dog whistling. And, yeah, I'm not denying any of that. It's not um, – his attitude about Mexicans is still, we want to welcome you legally. On the surface, it's still anti-racist, which is nice, right? It's progress as opposed to overt racism. And he didn't go with that message that he used to get himself elected. He went with peace with North Korea. And I'm still going to say – that's what I, I care way more about that than him knowing if Finland is part of Russia. Like as a libertarian, as as as, as a peacemonger, you know. And I do respect that that Trump uh, represents a continuation of the de-escalation of militarism overall. He's you know he, very subjective, and well, there's some pretty objective things you can look at. How many troops are deployed? How, is, is, how much military spending? Are the trends in these things are they affected by this? People dying as a result of American foreign policy. Pretty sure that that's still down on the whole under Trump. Jim, this is like a really important thing, and I want I want people to be able to question me on this. And and, and with comprehensive statistical analysis, we could say decisively, but on the whole, because you, you got to include you know, who do you include in this? Who is dying around the world as a result of American foreign policy? Like, do you include the economic manipulation? No, just military, American military foreign policy. How many people are dying as a result of that? Now, are way more people dying because of arms and manipulation? I don't think there's a huge surge. I think that's still on the whole coming down. So, what is being exposed here that, that should be exposed is the abuse of power in this. And so the, the last quote I'll share here um, from from Bolton, uh, a couple of points here, just giving ahead in the article. Um, oh, and, and the other big thing is that uh, 
Trump was asking for favors from China. So we'll skip ahead in the article here. Mr. Bolton, however, had nothing uh, for scorn, but I think this should read but scorn, for the House Democrats to impeach Mr. Trump, saying they committed impeachment malpractice by limiting their inquiry to the Ukraine matter, moving too quickly for their own political reasons. Instead, he said, they should have looked at how Mr. Trump was willing to intervene in investigations into companies like Turkey's Hulk Bank to curry favor with President Erdogan or Turkey of Turkey or China's ZTE to favor Mr. Z. Uh, Mr. Trump married politics with policy during a meeting with Mr. Z, uh, Z on the sidelines of the Group of 20 Summit meeting in Osaka, Japan, last summer, according to the book. Mr. Xi told Mr. Trump that unnamed political figures in the United States were trying to spark a new Cold War with China. Trump immediately assumed he meant the, so the now the quote from Bolton. Trump immediately assumed Xi meant the Democrats. Trump said approvingly that there was great hostility among the Democrats. He then stunningly turned the conversation to the coming U.S. presidential election, alluding to China's economic capability to affect the ongoing campaigns pleading with him to ensure he'd win. Mr. Bolton says he would have printed Mr. Trump's exact words, but the government's pre-publication review process has decided otherwise. Mr. Bolton does not say these are necessarily impeachable offenses and adds that he does not know everything that happened with regard to all of these episodes, but he reported them to Mr. Barr and Pat A. Cipollone, the White House counsel. That's definitely a mispronunciation. They should have been investigated by the House, he said, and at the very least suggested abuses of a president's duty to put the nation's interests ahead of his own. Quote, a president may not misuse the national government's legitimate powers by defining his own personal interests as synonymous with the national interest or by inventing pretexts to mask the pursuit of personal interest under the guise of national interest, Mr. Bolton writes. Had the House not focused Solely on the Ukraine aspects of Trump's confusion of his own, of his personal interests, he adds, then, quote, there might have been a greater chance to persuade others that high crimes and misdemeanors had been perpetrated. Now, I'm tempted, like, I understand why some people are still Trumplicans, Trumpaloompas, Trump apologists of one kind or another because there's this the 40 chess argument here is is a natural fantasy that even occurs to me here. Like let's say you're Donald Trump and one of your goals is truly well intentioned to become president in order to expose the fundamental criminality of the presidency. You just kind of do what you can to make things better in your flavor and keep doing all of these things. Like, I'm thinking maybe him, my little fantasy, and I know this is absurd. I know this is absurd, but I couldn't stop this fantasy from popping into my head that maybe this is all a plan. This is part of Trump's 40 chess. That he really set it up with Bolton from the beginning. He brought about brought in Bolton and was like, listen, dude, you want to make some history? Okay, look, I know there's a part of you that's a principled, legit dude who wants to challenge the power of the presidency. 
Maybe, maybe. Think about this. Bolton, at this point, wants his legacy to be about something more than the neocon servant of the Bush administration, right? He wants revenge against the jocks like W, who he was the loyal beta male nerd for, and go, oh yeah, well I'm going to make my historical mark in China, I'm going to put the presidency itself in its place. Yeah, let's do it, Trump. I'll be your sucker. For, do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. There's all a setup, and Trump's Trump's going to let himself be impeached, or or somehow come out and be like, "Well, hey, if you don't want me to do this, how about these reforms of the presidential power?" And let it happen, and then. Or, or let himself be impeached and come out and be like, and reveal some document. There's going to be some grand reveal, and he's going to go, ha, see, meant to do that. You're welcome. Mic drop. I'm 75 years old. 74 now, but, like, you know, next year. I'm 75, and I'm out of here. Now I'm going to retire into the golden era of Trumpian America and fade into the sun. This, okay, so this, this is what I would have been doing, I guess, if I didn't have my own grander vision. Is this plausible? Someone tell me I'm crazy that this is that that's like not it's not right because you know and maybe this would explain the Streisand effect. To the next story from Yahoo.com from the L.A. Times, Trump administration seeks restraining order <clears throat> to block Bolton book. Federal prosecutors are weighing whether to criminally charge John Bolton with disclosing classified information in his upcoming White House memoir in the Justice Department late Wednesday ramped up its legal campaign by seeking a temporary restraining order to block publication of a book that is being billed as a scathing rebuke of President Trump, according to court documents and people familiar with the matter. But it's it's already out. Like how are they, how are they going to start? There's so much more to this story. And for all your fantasies, you know, it's it's all the more important to be able to step back and see the bigger picture and not get sucked in to the drama and the intrigue and the personalities, uh, you know, as if they matter more than they do. So our next story from UPI.com, Clyde Hughes and Daniel Haynes, Trump outlines goals of task force to stop veteran suicide. Let's see if this is something worthwhile. June 17, President Donald Trump on Wednesday unveiled his administration's plan to reduce suicide among U.S. veterans, whom he described as the country's most treasured heroes. He discussed the president's roadmap to empower veterans and end the national tragedy of suicide or prevents. It's a nice, just good government acronym, right? President's roadmap to empower veterans and end the national tragedy of suicide prevents, right? With honor and courage, these incredible patriots performed their duty to America, and now we must fulfill our duty, Trump said. He described the suicide rate among veterans as a tremendous, tremendous problem. They've been through so much, and it's such a deep-seated problem. 
White House officials outlined nine priorities and ten recommendations for the Prevents Task Force with reporters early Wednesday. The task force was part of an executive order last year. Its primary goal is to unite government agencies and nonprofit organizations on the issue. This is the first nationally focused effort on suicide, one senior White House official said. The executive order was written intentionally as an aspirational effort. We can prevent suicides. In order to get there, we have to do a lot of things. Now, uh, let's see, where, where is the list? Do I have it in this? Um, no, where? Oh, my gosh. I thought it was going to be in the story. Did they just, like, write this out? Um, they have some of the recommendations here. I want to see the actual list. Let's see. Nine priorities and ten recommendations. <coughs> Excuse me for a second. I'm going to see if I can pull this up. Also, my stream yard is frozen, I think. So I got a mail alert. Let's see. Did that fix it? CJ, am I, am I good? Am I still on video? So, so, so clear. Let's see. Whitehouse.gov. Uh, should be on here. I mean, CJ would be coming up yeah, on. You're still on. Okay. Yeah, it's just that my screen froze in, in StreamYard. It happens occasionally, so excuse me for the technical interruption. But I want I want to pull this up. Let's see. Where where is it? I'm at, I'm at WhiteHouse.gov now, and apparently there should be something here. Let's see. Do we go search? Let's see. Uh, press releases, news, briefings, and statements. Let's, hey, while we're here, what's on the top of the pile of briefings and statements at WhiteHouse.gov? Readout from the Vice President's and Second Lady's call to NASA astronauts aboard the International Space Station. Uh, here we go. Second one, remarked by President Trump, an announcement of uh, Prevents Task Force Roadmap Press Briefing. And the next one, uh, press briefing, text of a letter to the from the President to the Speaker of the House. Anyway, all right, so let's look at the remarks here. See if it actually has uh, the, the nine points and uh, the ten. Uh, let's see, it has the questions here and the statement. Mm -mm -mm. Let's see, control of nine. Innocent, no, let's see, 90%, 90%. Uh, was it recommendations? No. Initiatives. There's one of that. Let's see. But it's, it prevents. Let's see. Prevents is like the name of it. Right. So, so. This it here. Prevents task force roadmap. We got to find the original thing that actually has no link to it. Principal prevents task force. I want, I want to see this. I want to, what I want to look at is like how, I mean, this is one way or another, this is great news. This is coming up at this level and they're facing it head on. What I want to find out, okay, so, oh, executive order. It's got to be in the executive order establishing prevents task force. So let's, let's see if we can find the executive order itself. Put a little sidebar here. Um, yeah, WhiteHouse.gov, executive order on national 
roadmaps and power systems. So section one, purpose. Section three, okay, so it has people who are in it, the Secretary of Defense, Secretary of Labor, they won't be there personally, they'll probably send representatives. Um, it's got all these sections, but let's see, where do we get the actual... Okay, so here we have uh, a couple points. Where's where's the nine and the ten? This is this. Why do they make this so difficult? Yeah, right. General effect. All right. Well, let's just read through the the executive order. We'll get to, we'll see we'll skip parts that are the fluff. By the authority vested in me as president by the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America, it is hereby ordered as follows: Section one, purpose. On average, twenty service members and veterans die by suicide each day. As a nation, we must do better. Okay, this is the fourth part. <clears throat> Answering this call to reduce, it must work side by side. So, like, one of the things I'm looking for is if this includes drug war reform, right? If this includes allowing uh, exploration or use of psilocybin and MDMA in treatment of PTSD. And if it doesn't, I'm going to say that this is a, we're doing the least possible to satisfy the pressure on us and and maintain our racket. And if that's the case, it's still a good thing. It's still great. This is this is not. But it's important to understand what the victory is, right? That's why that's why I want to get into it at this detailed level before we skim through 20 more headlines in the next 40 minutes. Um. So this is establishes to include the following. Uh, what it actually says here. The following or officials or their designees, right? Additional and invitees, development of the roadmap. Um, so the roadmap shall include community integration and collaboration proposal described in section six of this order to better coordinate and align existing efforts and services for veterans and promote their overall quality of life. Pre-vague sections, advanced efforts. Uh, there's, I'm like looking for anything specific. Implementation of strategy, policy changes. Okay, so I'm developing the roadmap. Okay, so now I'm, like, looking for anything specific at all. Private healthcare and hospital systems. Okay, wait, wait, so. Engage with private healthcare and hospital systems and state, local, oh, my, oh my gosh. Uh, state and local, within 365 days of this order, shall sub, the force shall submit a legislative proposal. Community integration, bring together veteran-serving organizations to provide veterans with better coordinated and streamlined access to a multitude of services. So this sounds like a layer of government to make the layers of government easier to manage the layers of government, right? So far, I'm not, I'm not really encouraged. Promoting a stronger sense of belonging, pretty vague. National research strategy to improve coordination, very vague. Uh, I'm, ooh, yeah, I'm not encouraged by this. The National Research Status for Milestones. Improve our ability to identify individual veterans and groups at risk of suicide. Improve interventions. Develop strategies. Uh, draw upon data. Wow, like this is really, really vague. Administrative provisions. Wow, they actually, wow, termination, after submission of the roadmap. So there is a section for termination of the task force. After submission of the roadmap described in Section 5 of this order, the task force established in Section 3 of this order shall 
monitor implementation of the roadmap. The task force shall terminate two years following the submission to the president of the roadmap. Shit. I'm really disappointed. Jim, I was actually hoping there would be some some meat on these bones. Uh, So far, it seems like really nothing more than than pandering. All right, we're going to cruise through some headlines now. Going back one to cron.com. As Trump warns of leftist violence, a dangerous threat emerges from the right-wing boogaloo movement. As far-right, a far-right extremist movement born on social media and fueled by anti-government rhetoric has emerged as a real-world threat in recent weeks, with federal authorities accusing some of its adherents of allegedly working to spark violence at largely peaceful protests roiling the nation. At a time when President Donald Trump and other top U.S. officials have claimed with little evidence that leftist groups were fomenting violence, federal prosecutors have charged various supporters of a right-wing group, which calls itself the Boogaloo Boys, with crimes related to plotting a firebomb to firebomb a U.S. Forest Service facility, preparing to use explosives at a peaceful demonstration, and killing a security officer at a federal courthouse. Now, there's a lot of, you know, bullshit demonization in all of this. It's a very long article. And, you know, again, skipping ahead to the last paragraph, this is a quote from uh, Jared Maples, Director of Homeland Security and Preparedness for New Jersey. Quote, these types of groups, they just take advantage of the moment and they spew some messaging and it just gains traction. The people who are doing this are taking advantage of people's fears. One of the biggest things we can do is call it out. What they're doing and the way they're calling it out, one, is obviously dishonest. But it's problematic because what they're doing is painting an inaccurate picture saying uh, that, that, that the extreme left and right should be demonized. In reality, what we see, if you accept the left-right paradigm at all, you know, you go far around enough to the right and around to the left, and they come together in the middle where people go, hey, yeah, fundamentally as human beings, we all right, want the same things as different flavors. And, gee, it's the authoritarians working against the freedom of the people we should unite against. And instead what they do is they present the left and right as these extremes and that they are the dangerous ones. And instead of saying, let's look away from the status quo to something that's safer and better, let's look to the middle, let's look to the status quo, to the mainstream, and huddle together uh, for comfort in the herd. Now, a couple stories that we skipped earlier I have to skip ahead to. From StanfordAdvocate.com, this is one we didn't get to from yesterday, police detain armed militia members after man is shot at Albuquerque protest. Protesters in Albuquerque wrapped a chain around the neck of a bronze statue and began tugging, chanting, tear it down. Shortly before sunset on Monday, the efforts to pull down a monument of Spanish conquista or one day Onate suddenly stopped as four shots rang out. Now, if you read the story and get into the, the, the actual sequence of events, it's right here in the story, and you realize just how blatantly dishonest the headline is. And it's true. Police detain armed militia members after man is shot in Albuquerque protests. And what they've got here, at the, at the, even in the picture that they use in this story, reveals the dishonesty in the spin here and it, it doesn't it I'm I'm shocked really by how blatant they are allowing the lies to be that it's and making it so easy to read behind between the lines. 
Because what happened was that there was an incident where a shooter uh, fired four shots in a questionable self-defense situation. I mean, I, I want to, you know, get this actually right because they, they're honest in their description in this article. So, uh, aside from a few small scuffles over signs near the monument, the protests are largely unpeaceful, though tens of times. And by the way, this is the ridiculous one where they're, they're this is over a, a protest about a monument to Onyate, who was a 16th century despot who massacred indigenous people. Like, uh, you know, and then it's coming up now. People find, oh, we're taking down statues. Okay. okay. Uh, as, as George Carlin would say, I leave the symbols to the symbol-minded. So, then, a white man in a blue t-shirt appeared to rile the crowd, according to video obtained by KOB4. People erupted in shouts, and the man took a few steps back. A masked protester swung a skateboard and struck him in the shoulder. The man backpedaled out of the crowd, but continued to exchange shouts with protesters. Someone in the video encouraged people to follow the man and get his license plate number. Several people followed him. One tackled him to the ground. As he tried to stand back up and three people tried to hit him again, the man in blue pulled a gun and fired four shots, striking one man and scattering the crowd. According to the news, pretty clear use of, of, of a firearm for self-defense. And this is coming from StanfordAdvocate.com, but this is from the Washington Post. I guess they have to have a certain amount of journalist in integrity to share the story, honestly. And then they put it in a headline, and now I'm thinking, okay, this has got to be like a decoy of some kind, right? Sorry for the sidebar, but in the sense of the news, it, it, why are they warping and misleading with this statement, right? This, this you know, demonize the militia, right? Again, it's just feeding into the nature of the divisive rhetoric, you know, left versus right. It's the, is it the, the right-wing militia or the left-wing protesters? And in a lot of cases, what I've been seeing is it's completely contrary to the mainstream narrative. And if you just look at the interview that we did last freaking week, right, or was it with, with, right, was, uh, with Luke Wanky in Minneapolis as a boogaloo boy going out saying, look, we're, we're here to defend and support the pro We're at least here to defend the protesters, right, to defend them, to, to, to protest. For, and we're defending them from the government, from the police. It, the, the story that's happening right now in America is a more beautiful one of left and right coming together to oppose authority. And anybody who tells you otherwise is deliberately putting out a divisive message. So here we go. Back to the, the physicality of what happened. In a second video that captured the moments following the shooting, the gunman sat in the middle of the, a road as the New Mexico Civil Guard militia members formed a circle around him. One man carrying a semi-automatic rifle, camouflage fatigues, and a military-style helmet kicked the handgun away from the man and stood with his foot on top of the weapon. So here the, you have someone, I mean, if you want to caricature this as right and left, you have left protesters. You have a right agitator. The left protesters get violent with the right agitator. There's he in self-defense fires a shot and who comes in the militia that they're trying to portray as the right-wing extremist comes in and de-escalates disarms the person using uh, unnecessary well <clears throat> it might have been in the moment justified necessary deadly force I'm glad no one I mean if if he could have fired a warning shot and and had the same effect I'm not going to second guess them 
He's a man being mocked. He's, he's armed, and he's using a gun in self-defense. Legitimate. Absolutely. Absolutely. When when you're being tackled, if you're if you're being tackled on a hard surface, that that's deadly force. Your head hits that hits concrete. I mean, like we saw with the protester in in Buffalo, he hit his head. Apparently, now he has a fractured skull and, and difficulty walking and significant brain damage. Right. Uh, so yeah, you're justified in using deadly force to resist that. And what happens? Isn't it great when seconds counted and the police were just minutes away that there was the New Mexico civil defense, what, what do they call themselves? The uh, New Mexico Civil Guard militia members. Yeah. So what happened? Police responded to the scene with tear gas and flashbang explosives to force the crowd back. So first they're going to escalate and then they're going to detain the wrong people. Right? And that's what they did. And so what does the headline come out to? Shooting. You read the headline, so go back to the headline. Police detain armed militia members after a man is shot at Albuquerque protest. What's the first thing you assume? Armed militia members shot someone. Holy crap. Okay, the next story in our linemen, in our lineup here, is another Boogaloo one. Alleged Oakland, Ben Lamond, gunman Steve Carrillo, Carrillo, Linked to far-right Boogaloo movement. Very confusing headline. So this is the Ben Lomond gunman named Steve Carrillo, who is from oh the Oakland shooter. Like, and then linked to like it's it's I think a very deliberately confusing headline. And it's a deliberately confusing story because they want they just throw out a confusing story. And and the takeaway is bad things happen associated with people we don't want you to like. Mission accomplished. Federal prosecutors filed murder and other charges against Travis Air Force Sergeant Stephen Carrillo in the shooting death of Federal Protective Service Officer Dave Underwood, who was killed in a hail of gunfire during a night of George Floyd unrest on May 29 while he stood watch over Oakland's federal building. So can we dismiss this as a crazy military guy going rogue shooting other government agents? Let's find out. Carrillo was already in custody in Santa Cruz County Jail for the special enhancement murder of Santa Cruz County Sheriff Sergeant Damon Gutzwiller and the attempted murder of several other deputies in an ambush on June 6th on the mountain community of Ben Lomond. So that's it. That's the headline. Oakland Ben Lomond gunman. Steve, so Ben Lomond is the community in Oakland. The charges carry with them the possibility of death sentence. I think there's supposed to be a the there, the death sentence. The evidence linking the two crimes by the way, when I read the news, I do a lot of correcting grammar for reporters. Yeah. It's a service to my readers or to my listeners that I read their shit for you and at least slightly unshit it. Like, there's there's a significant number of just and skimming it and taking out the crap, obviously. But, uh Anyway, the evidence linking the two crimes was a white 1992 Fort van. U.S. Attorney David Anderson said the same van was used in both crimes. An AR-15 rifle discovered at the Santa Cruz crime scene was used in both shootings. Federal officials described the AR-15 as a ghost weapon, a gun self-built from parts and not purchased from a manufacturer. An armored vest also discovered in a vehicle belonging to Carrillo contained a distinct patch and slogans in what is believed to be Carrillo's blood on a vehicle carjacked during the Santa Cruz ambush linked to the suspected gunman, linked the suspected gunman to the Boogaloo movement, a right-wing extremist group that harbors 
a mistrust of law enforcement and government and anticipates a second American Civil War referred to as the Boogaloo. Well, that's not very accurate. It's more like an Internet meme come to life. But, and it's not right-wing so much as it's libertarian. Of course, that's how they're going to slander it. Does it have right inclinations? Maybe. But it's not extreme right-wing by any definition of left and right. Except, unless you want to say left is big government and right is small government, as simple as that. But even then, the terms kind of break down irrelevance, and you can see that what they're doing is demonizing. And they have an interesting explanation here. The term comes from a 1984 cult classic movie, Breaking Two Electric Boogaloo, a phrase which is used to signify parody when appended to a topic. The Boogaloo movement's anticipation of a second civil war in the U.S. generated the phrase Civil War II Electric Boogaloo. Which means that it's a parody. Like, do you not, like, do they not realize this? Now, if it's a parody come to life in a, in a bad way, that's a different story. Now, is it, you know, what, what is, what is the link here? You know, what did they say here? An armored vest, distinct patch and slogans linking to the, but what is, do they, do they, do they actually say, so, um, stop the duopoly. It looks like it's in the photo of, of this blood, alleged, alleged blood. This is some other level of insanity. If this is really what this is and not just what they're insinuating, this is the story of the year, bigger than, than anything except maybe Corona or George Floyd as a whole. But like that this, so I can't read the top part of this in the blood. I can read the bottom there. It says stop the duopoly. That's a very libertarian phrase. That. We get from our friend Bill Weld, our friends Bill Weld and Gary Johnson, actually. So, you know, skipping ahead here, there's, you know, all this stuff about the procedure and the criminal process, but there's no examination or very little, I, I mean, I suppose insufficient, to really help me understand who this person is, what their motivations are that you think would, would be part of the story. Bennett said, or what the links are. Bennett said evidence developed in the case of communication between Carrillo and others talking about using the George Floyd demonstration planned for Oakland that night as a cover to kill Underwood and wound his partner. We believe, As he said, quote, we believe Carrillo and Justice chose the state because of the planned protests in Oakland. It provided them to target multiple law enforcement personnel to, and to avoid apprehension due to the large crowds attending the demonstrations. As described in detail in the complaint, we believe justice drove the white van. So, like, this is, I mean, it's a really strange story. I don't see anything else here, and, and I read this whole story earlier, you know, trying to figure this out, like, and there's this weird connection with the Air Force, all right? And this gets to suggesting, like, some kind of crazy MK Ultra kind of shit. And I think that's what, again, deliberately making things confusing and misleading. Korea was a Phoenix Raven team leader at Travis Air Force Base, having completed a rigorous two-week, 12-hour-a-day course at McGuire that, quote, covers cross-cultural awareness, legal considerations, embassy operations, explosive ordinance awareness, and more. As the Air Force release said, while Raven apprentices are using these techniques, they are also exposed to more than 70 use-of-force scenarios. 
and I, I don't want, I mean, I, do I want to turn into the Steve Carrillo investigation guy? Or, you know, what is Phoenix Raven team leader? What is the Phoenix Raven conspiracy? Is this some MK Ultra thing? Is this a rogue, like, this is an Air Force sergeant allegedly murdering government officials in Oakland. And you know, is the mainstream media all over? The, no, like, and I'm, I'm reading this from, from CBS Local. It's the local story. Why is this not going international? For some reason, the media doesn't want the story. Remember, the media wanted the George Floyd story to get out. They wanted the protests and rights. They want, like, and, and the irony, oh, look, people go out to protest police brutality and police with, respond with, oh, more brutality. Predictable problem, response, solution. Like, yeah, distraction, all of this. They could have stopped this. They could have made this a moment of, oh, yeah, the protests were relatively peaceful. So they didn't. The authorities let that happen. Donald Trump, and I'm just using this as an example because by saying this, you see that all of these other layers of government could have intervened and prevented this from happening. Donald Trump could have gotten out and said, I have a message to America's law enforcement. Be peaceful. Protect the protesters. Use minimal force. If you stick to those guidelines and get out there with love and respect for the First Amendment and freedom of speech, you will be celebrated. Those who don't, will be prosecuted. Right? He didn't say that. Did he say anything like that? No, not, nothing. I know. Nothing. Did and any state governor, any federal law enforcement, FBI, CIA goomba, or FBI, I know you're not CIA, but all the other federal law enforcement agencies, they could have reached out, created national guidelines, police unions, organizations, and said, what are they doing? Now they're cheering they're letting this happen. You've seen these incidents where, you know, like the, the, the cops who pushed the guy in Buffalo, they get released from, from jail or they, no, it wasn't jail. They didn't get jailed. They went to some court hearing and they come out and there's huge crowd of off-duty cops. Same thing, multiple incidents like that where they're, they're defending the cops doing the brutality and they're doing it openly and brazenly. The powers that be are letting that happen. They want that division. They want that divisiveness. And it makes you wonder, like, with a story like this, I, I'm going to be following up on this. Steve Carrillo and the Boogaloo connection conspiracy. Like, I, I do want to follow up on this just to I, – I want to be careful, like, not to get sucked down the rabbit hole on this one. But, woo, Air Force sergeant murdering – The Santa Cruz County Sheriff Sergeant? Like, that should be international headlines. U.S. Air Force Sergeant murders Santa Cruz County Sheriff's Sergeant. Yeah. Talk about an underreported story. To the only extent that they're reporting it, they're going to, oh, that's a crazy boogaloo thing. I doubt it. There's going to be a lot more to this story. All right. Now we really have to zoom through some headlines. All right, going back. Today in 
internet censorship. YouTube alleged to racially profile via artificial intelligence and algorithms from HollywoodReporter.com. A lawsuit taking direct aim at Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act says the site applies restricted mode to videos tagged Black Lives Matter, among other names, words, and phrases. And so this is a group of African-American content creators launching a class action lawsuit against YouTube and its parent company, Alphabet. But uh, I don't think they're going to win on this one. And this is a bad one because I'm betting that these algorithms are just based on anything controversial, anything political, and anything having to do with race at all is going to be covered in this. Um, I'm sorry, we're going to skip around. CJ, if you don't mind, I'm going to see if I can, uh, I might disappear for a second here and uh, refresh and uh, get get my StreamYard video back. See so if I can just leave. No, my window's frozen. No. Then I'm fucking with it, so I'm screwing with it. I'll entertain them while if, yeah. you, if you get picked up. Do it. Well, let's see. You can at least do this. And this. All I do is get in and out of, uh, of the browser. Now you're now we're back. Back. And there's, all right. Um, so, what they were, What was I talking about? The, um, all right, we're just going to go through the headlines. I'll make the connections as we go. From APnews.com poll, Americans not buying White House spin on coronavirus. Nice to see this confirmation finally. Vice President Mike Pence says the U.S. response to the coronavirus pandemic is a cause for celebration, but the new poll finds more than half of Americans calling it fair or poor. The Gallup and West Health survey out Thursday found that 50% of U.S. adults rated the national response to COVID-19 as fair or poor, particularly in light of the fact that America has the world's most expensive health care system. I would also like to think that uh, they were very suspicious and in, in, in a lower level of trust. Uh, let's see. This is, I guess this is just advocate, This is just looking at the numbers about the... Um, national response assessment rather than how much do you trust the White House, because I'll bet that would be a lot lower. And uh, so that would be buying White House spin. The headline isn't, sorry, I thought it was, we were looking at better numbers, that we'd have better numbers in the story. Headline is a little bit misleading there. Okay, back to our state of Arizona, abc15.com. More than 900 medical providers signed letter urging Governor Ducey to maintain ma- mandate masks in public. Scary possibility. Phoenix, more than 900 medical providers in Arizona have signed a letter sent to Governor Doug Ducey uh, Monday urging him to make wearing masks a requirement when in public as coronavirus cases continue to spike across the state. On Tuesday, the Arizona Department of Health Services announced 2,392 new cases. Blah, blah, blah. Deaths in this state increased by 25 uh, so we have 1,219, although a lot of them had, you know, it's important to point out technically what they call in the, in, in the medical community comorbid conditions like uh, gunshot wounds or, you know, hammer blows to the head or, you know, they just fell out of an airplane without a parachute. You know, other things that may have contributed to their deaths besides COVID-19, just pointing that out. But uh, this, the statement writes, please issue a statewide mandate requiring universal masking in public for those two years old and above. Why are you discriminating against people under two years? Really? 
No, I obviously this is you know, just an obvious but arbitrary cutoff. There is this division of clear scientific evidence that wearing masks is one way to decrease the spread of COVID-19, and thus would reduce both the wave of severely affected patients requiring ICU and ventilator resources, as well as unnecessary deaths. Well, this is one part of the narrative that has just fallen flat. No one's even trying to maintain this. We have to flatten the curve to prevent hospitals from being uh, overburdened uh, or overflow. Like, there's no... the, the you know, either we did that and what we're doing is fine and coming back to normal, normal, you know, economic activity slowly is going to be fine. We're not going to have a surge that would take us past that critical mass uh, where the curve crosses that line where hospitals are being overburdened. If anything, we have a problem that's the opposite. Hospitals being underburdened because of everything being, uh, you know, um, canceled in, in, in or postponed for elective surgeries and, and people avoiding hospitals. And, and actually, here's a silver lining, right, for the hypochondriacs out there. They are realizing that they're better off treating themselves a lot of the time than going to the hospital. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. But that's a, that's a bad thing for the medical industry that they're losing that business. If anything, I, I, we have the opposite problem in America with our healthcare system, right? That people don't feel comfortable. Oh, yeah, I can just go in and get treatment with a healthcare provider and, and, you know, more people are like, shit, I can't afford this. Right? See, that's the problem. We have an insufficient, insufficient delivery of medical services because of the price, and that's leading people to seek cheaper treatments. The only benefit here is for the hypochondriacs who possibly overuse hospitals, but that's, that's the minority of the population. And, you know, what you have here is people abusing their you know, alleged authority status as healthcare providers. It's like, no, you're, you're, you're status. You're looking for a status solution. You're not going based on, you're not, you're not, and this is, this is the thing that bothers me to no end because I am a scientist. I am a political scientist. I, I don't, and I don't, you, you know, when, when I, my major was in government, it was, you know, I have a, most of a master's in political management. I, that's not what I'm talking about. I don't care about that. I mean, I'm a scientist in that I apply the scientific method. I apply objective analysis, and I've studied enough science in my education. I mean, even in high school, I, I went to good high schools. We, we really learned the scientific method. We learned the history of the application of the scientific method, how it's gotten us to our understanding today, the development of, of scientific knowledge, and in college even more so when you design a study that has to take into account all the prior studies in that field that are related to it and how you're advancing that knowledge and how you're doing it according to scientific principles and uh, yada, yada, yada. And I apply that to politics. That's why I say what I mean. I'm a political scientist or a social scientist looking at, and, and one, of the, one of the scientific theories that I've discovered is nonviolent relationships are more conducive to human happiness than violent, coercive relationships. Uh, no shit, right? And you, you, you test this. Like, I've tested this, right, in developing my worldview. I've tested it as a scientist, the same way that you would test a scientific theory or a law, like the law of gravity. And there, there, there are obvious, like, caveats, but the general trend, the laws, these things hold true. And what these, uh, you know, medical uh, experts, these, you know, these professionals are doing is not applying science to the um, – political side of this and forcing people to wear masks is going to have unintended consequences. It's going to make things worse overall. So another story from Arizona, Phoenix, New Times, 
Arizona sheriff who refused to enforce lockdown restrictions has COVID-19. Now, if you don't know what COVID-19 is, if you didn't take the time to really research, if you just, oh, oh, it's that deadly virus that the government is doing all this economic stuff about. And, oh, my God, ha, ha, he was against the lockdowns, and now he's got it. But if you, you know, it's like, yeah, he got the cold. Like, yeah, and it, does he, did he die? Let's, I mean, is he, like, he attested positive for attending a campaign event. This is Penal County Sheriff Mark Lamb. Uh, found out when he was, you know, he was found out when he was called on Tuesday to meet with Trump at the White House and was screened. Um, unfortunately, he doesn't have the look anyway. So, another dumb story from Arizona. Um, want to get into, you know, we've only got like 15 minutes here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold a couple stories. We want to get into DACA and the significance for that. Quick, so all the quick stories, and then we're gonna get to your comments before we wrap up. Still looking for a top comment today. We've got the Trumpa Loompas. We've got what the the uh, bag that what that wait did CJ did you ever find a picture of Fresno Bob or look did, Jim did you look up what is Fresno Bob? All right, we're gonna look up Fresno Bob. We're gonna skim through some headlines. We're gonna skip the state in good news history. Unfortunately, we will make that. I promise. I promise. We're gonna get to that tomorrow. And if we have time for a caller today, if someone's in the backstage who wants to jump in, but to the star DailyStar.co.uk Ring of Fire Eclipse. Could be sign of apocalypse sending darkness over the Holy Land. This year's first solar eclipse with a ring of fire is happening this Sunday. It will be the deepest one this century and coincides with the summer solstice fueling doomsday believers fear the end is nigh. So just quick pointing this out for those of you like me who are fans of astronomy and, and, and things like this. Uh, sky phenomena. You want to go watch the eclipse. Look at the details. Uh, look at where you can see it on Sunday. Uh, this is the first time the breathtaking phenomenon has occurred this year, and experts say it will be the deepest one of the century as it will take place during solstice when the sun is at maximum elevation. So look up a viewing guide. See if you're in the zone or, you know, where it's going to look good. Obviously, it's like, uh, let's see. Um, people are saying this is a sign of the, you know, end times and all sorts of, you know, silly, superstitious people reading into this, of course. Um, let's see, it'll be over Israel for six hours. Let's see. Uh, all right, well, if you want if you want to observe this, look up a, view, a viewing guide for your area to find out when. Excuse me, CJ, beautiful picture. Thank you for pulling that up. When it's going to be uh, viewable. From Engadget.com. Researchers taught a robot to suture by showing it surgery videos. I think it's a bit of an oversimplification. I just wanted to bring this article to your attention because it's cutting a edge of applied medical technology. Stitching a patient back together after surgery is a vital but monotonous task for medics, often requiring them to repeat the same simple movements over and over hundreds of times. Imagine that. What a luxury we have Stitching people together being boring. I imagine, yeah, there there are people who sewed, you know, when you have like a long stitch, you know, you go all the way across it or from a surgery. Like if you have to cut, that's those are the big, you know, you have to cut someone open to get into their heart or, or organs, whatever. You're you're going to have a big seam and having that done with a machine instead of by hand, you know, I think there are other advantages mechanically that a machine's going to have in doing that. It's gonna, so this is really cool. And it's not like, Hey, robot, go sew that guy up. You know, it's a device. You got to put over and, you know, guide and things like that. 
But really cool to see that robot technology, new application, cool thing. Uh, all right, so we got another today in Internet censorship story. Facebook from abcnews.go.com. Facebook takes down Proud Boys American Guard accounts connected to protests because they're identified as hate groups by the SPLC. Facebook executed a takedown Tuesday. of, And I wonder if this language is like, subversively suggesting, a, you know, they're trying to demonize, like, yeah, Facebook, they're the assholes doing this takedown of social media accounts connected to two organizations the company considers to be hate groups. And I like this. This is like good journalism where it considers, it's like alleged, you know, it's, it's kind of sounds like they're trying to be fair here. And had banned across their platforms, Proud Boys and American Guard. Facebook officials told ABC News the company completed a network disruption that their security teams had originally initiated on May 30 against Proud Boys and the American Guard. On May 30, the social media's internal monitors started seeing traffic from both organizations, indicating they intended to send armed agitators to ongoing protests sparked in the wake of the death of George Floyd. Now, what? Now, I, I don't, I don't want to get into the, the weeds of this too much, but you know, were they going to be agitators? Were they going to be defenders, like the like the, the militia in New Mexico? Right, you know, and and even if this is true, here's the problem with this: if you don't, even if <clears throat> Facebook had an objective standard of saying we're not going to allow our platform to be used to incite violence, right, <clears throat> or specifically to commit deliberate individual acts of violence, that's one thing. But they're not applying it consistently because if they don't apply it consistently, then, well, if one person does it, we're going to take out a whole group that they're a part of. Well, guess what? If I want to screw up your entire group. All I have to do is infiltrate and then do one bad thing and you're screwed. You, you no longer have access to these platforms. So, a lot, of, a lot of different things, you know, going on with this. Just one other note in internet censorship for the day. Kimberly Wood. It's Kim Wood. She, she's already in. She's a, a co-producer. Yeah. Our co you know, Kim, um, maybe Kim. Um, now, Kim has not been active in the Telegram chat. Is she, did you add her? She's in it, isn't it? Was she, did you add Kim to the Telegram chat? Maybe she's, maybe she, I mean, she knows that she can be. Maybe she didn't know. Yeah. Um, but, or maybe she just doesn't want to be in the, the daily conversation, but she is our co-producer. I think Kim deserves a cool title as a co-producer, too. Uh, co-producer for Christian Perspective representative. Co-producer for Christian editorials because she's had some great comments. She's she's one of my Christian friends who has a uh, beautiful version of Christianity. Um, you know, I'm, you know, I always have to say, you know, the I, I love your Christ, not so much your Christians. You know, there's some Christians who take it the wrong way, and some Christians who do beautiful things with it. And Kim is is one who does beautiful things with it. So maybe that's it. So Kim's five dollar super chat today is: Does art imitate life? Or does life imitate TV? And she wrote Alan. Uh, is that a quote from someone named Alan? Is that a Woody Allen quote? It's funny, yeah, with the super chats, I forgot. I, I, I always forget. In order to put a longer chat in, you have to give more money. I don't want people to have to do that for our show. Right. If you want to put in a dollar <clears throat> and say, Jim, see my comment about this, and it's a paragraph, we'll read your paragraph for a dollar, okay? Just so everybody knows. That's now Jim's nodding. That makes it our official policy. Um, so if you want to, so the question is, life, does art imitate life or does life imitate TV? 
The revolution will not be televised, but it will be uploaded. I think that's an Ernie Hancock quote. I don't know if he's the one who came up with that. I've heard him say it. Um, great old song, The Revolution Will Not. Again, it's a spoken word thing. I don't want to play because I know we're going to get pinged on copyright. But if anybody wants to look it up, the show's almost over. We'll definitely wrap this up in the next 10, 15 minutes. Afterwards, you want to make a note, go watch. The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. Fun video. So i got to answer this question, though. Does art imitate life? Yeah. That's, that's, that's sort of a fundamental nature of the relationship. And, and I, I hate these simplistic things that are like, well, we just want to get you at a deeper point. But here, when someone says, art imitates life, life imitates art. No, no, that's fundamentally backwards. Life existed before art. Art is a product of life. It is an imitation of life, or, you know, in some way it has to be. Now, then it, then it, it turns around, right? There's a feedback loop. Like the relationship is more complex than does life imitate art or does art imitate life, right? Because it's, it, it, it's sort of like which came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, actually, you can answer that question from evolution because there were animals that laid eggs that were not chickens that then evolved into chickens. So the egg came first. The first chicken to hatch from an egg was born from a creature that genetically was not quite a chicken. That's, so the egg came first, and now they now you have a feedback loop, and because humans have domesticated and keep that feedback loop going and limit and manage the genetic you know uh, uh, pool to not stray into something that is genetically not a chicken anymore, right? We're not we're breeding them to stay within the realm of what is defined as a chicken. So I don't know. I guess you could. I wonder, has there been an example of domestication creating a whole new species? And, and, and you know, it's kind of an arbitrary genetic classification, right? It's, well, no, there is no. It's can it breed and produce fertile offspring, right? I, I, if I recall from my college biology, the definition of a species is, a, is a, based on an organism or a group of organisms of a specific genetic pool that can breed amongst each other and reproduce and create fertile offspring. That's why, like a, a horse and a donkey, they're different species. They can produce offspring, but they're infertile, right? A, a mule, am I getting that right? Something like that. So then you got this, so feet, anyway. A really weird way to answer the question about <laughs> art imitating life, right? So there's the feedback loop created, and, and I think that's a better way of describing the relationship. Does life imitate TV? Now here you have a part of the feedback loop that you go, oh crap, yeah. TV's got a pretty outsized influence. Any other good comments, Jim? Before we get to the last round of, of, of news here, uh, let me go. Let's see. I got my notes going on here. Uh, flea market mutt a while ago asked, so what's up with uh, Iraq veterans against war? Is there anything new on that? You know, that's a story for another day because I am a member of the new organization called uh, Veterans About Face. And that's the uh, follow-on organization to Iraq Veterans Against the War, what it sort of evolved into. And I 
I haven't had the time yet to actually do a new members orientation call, and I want to do that. Uh, there's one scheduled for June 25th, and I kind of I want to pull up the. Um, let's see, it's uh, aboutfaceveterans.org is the, I guess it's About Face Veterans is the name of the organization. Uh, no, About Face, sorry. The name of the organization is About Face, Veterans Against the War, which to me is problematic right away. I, I haven't gotten into really evaluating the, everything about the organization, the strategy properly, but it's like the war. I thought it would be a veteran, you know, veterans against war. But when it says the war, you're like, which one is the war? Is it the global war on terror? Because that's even not even relevant anymore, really, as an umbrella concept of the global war of terror. Um, and the website, though, is aboutfaceveterans.org. And I joined the organization. I think I I had to fill out the form, but I, I didn't have to pay anything because grandfathered. And I, I, they have free membership options, I'm sure. Um, and it's dominated by, you know, a lot of my, my friends who were involved in Iraq Veterans Against the War who are of my favorite kind of lefties, the truly, you know, well-spirited, well-intentioned, gutsy, intellectually courageous, but still lefties, lefties. And so it has that, that's only like, yeah, they got a free, I'm a, there's a free membership option. <laughs> like, yeah, there is. Um, but uh, I looked at, you know, who we are and their mission, and I was like, yeah, I, I can sign up for this. This is a righteous cause. Um, at very least, nominally, I want to be a part of it. I want to support. I'm, I'm going to, you know what, um, CJ, could you make a note uh, to interview somebody from from um, from About Face, preferably whoever's in charge, I, you know, they, and it's a split leadership system. You know, they might have uh, an executive director and uh, a, a chairman of the board or, you know, something like that. Uh, excuse me, they wouldn't have a chairman, they would have a chair. Uh, <laughs> Got to be gender gender correct. For the, the, there is a bit of a PC streak in this crowd. And it's funny, they're more suspicious of me than I am of them. Like when I joined, someone, one of them texted me and was like, what's your purpose? Like, same as before, when I was a member of IVAW. Like, and, and screw you for even, I didn't say this to that person, but screw you for even questioning me on this. If you're questioning me coming in to be active with about face because of all the members of IVAW who are high profile anywhere at all, like I was the most committed to the separation of my ideology from the message messaging and, and purpose of IVAW, which was the three points, bring them home, take care of them when they get here and reparations for, for the Iraqi people. I'm all for that. You know, even the reparations, a lot of it was actually non-government efforts that, that, that were being pursued. But even then, yeah, reparations through government, yeah, it's do justice, you know, pay pay uh, for damages costs. And for, for us, that was salacious. Anyway, we'll get into this. I, I think doing an interview with someone uh, representing About Face would be awesome. So um, another This Day in Censorship story from ZeroHedge.com. Google demonetizes Zero Hedge. As you may have read on NBC, Google has decided to suspend ad hosting on the Far right, zero hedge, and it's far right in quotes. It's definitely, it's, it's, it's an economic analysis blog with, anyway, um, it, which apparently can be anything from batshit insane Austrian school blog to Russian propaganda or framed in any other way that serves the agenda of those who disagree with our views, which apparently these days is a lot of people along with the Federalist 
a decision that would have would have a materially adverse impact for both websites. The reason presented to us for this decision is far, far more mundane than what has been disclosed by NBC. We are currently appealing it and expect to remedy it. That being said, uh, we were surprised by the framing of the suspension by the NBC article, which disturbingly appears to be another attempt at activist targeting of inconvenient media outlets, especially since the core argument presented by the NBC employees is different than what Google actually has said. In fact, half the NBC article just happens to be dead wrong. Google Communications, they point out, even communi- even corrected them. The Federalist was never demonetized. So there's a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get too far into the story. It's definitely worth noting and, uh, and definitely worth taking Zero Hedge's perspective on this. I'm definitely... I uh, would consider myself a friend, fan, supporter of the website ZeroHedge.com. Um, uh, through aggregators, I end up seeing articles from there on a regular basis and occasionally go and, and skim the headlines and see. I, I occasionally, but, hey, you know what? I haven't heard anything from Zero Hedge in a while. I wonder what they're, what they're reporting on right now. Um, worth noting, again, a story that I just sort of have to cover from AFI. Yeah, I want to cover it. Um, from AFP uh, via Yahoo.com, this is racial U.S. protesters insist after a hanging death of black man. For Sean Green and many other residents of Palmdale, sitting in California's Mojave Desert, there's no question that Robert Fuller's death was racially motivated. In a word, this is a cover-up, said Green, 46, commenting about the 24-year-old black man who was found dead hanging from a tree on June 10. Uh, authorities initially labeled it a, a suicide, then backtracked following an outcry from his family and civic leaders who demanded a full investigation and have sought an independent probe and autopsy. Now, it's really interesting to think, um, with everything that's going on right now, as much as the heatedness of the conversation is reaching so many people in America, if you are a young black man considering suicide for other reasons, and, and I don't mean to suggest a nefarious narrative, because I think it's most likely. I'm just having to explore a different angle of the story, right? Why not commit suicide by hanging yourself and make it look like it was a lynching? And go, well, I'm doing a favor to black America by this sort of, by this false flag attack. Possible. Um, if it was a racially motivated lynching, there's a whole other scary possibility. I imagine that the local police department did a reasonable investigation and then said, ah, shit, we can't find anything that makes this uh, a criminal act. We, We, like, looked around. There's no fingerprints. There are no other footprints. Oh, shit. Well, I guess we got to label it a suicide. And then that pissed people off who then... Oh, shit, now we got to reframe it as a, as a violent act. The thing is, why isn't this story getting more legs? Maybe because there is nothing there. And the police department, what they should have done, if my assumptions are correct, is said inconclusive. Could have been murder, could have been suicide. We don't know. Because they don't have evidence to confirm that it's a suicide. They're assuming that it's a suicide by the absence of evidence of criminality. And that's problematic. That's that's sort of bad. I would say bad policing to, to conclusively say. To, but to, to, now, did they actually do that? Now let me let me read the article again. Um, 
initially labeled it a suicide. Maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration. Maybe they actually did what I'm suggesting, right? But in their conclusion of the police report, they had to say most likely suicide or could be suicide when they, you know, and, and that justifies them stopping the investigation. Like, we don't have anything else to look at. But now with public now we're going to have a thorough investigation and you're going to have the demand that the police force in this town show the public a more decisive answer. And that's a good thing. So, well, yeah, we'll be following this. I think there was another story I saw of a hanging. Um, Brazil on the brink of a virus catastrophe. That's, one, that's another big story we're going to have to get into tomorrow. Soldiers fell to their deaths as Indian Chinese troops fought with rocks. Going to have to get into that tomorrow. Um, positive story, again, Good News Network. New Zealand has eradicated COVID-19, crushing the virus to end social distancing. Uh, you know, a lot of this is playing into the myth. Like, after 40,000 people tested, 12 days with no one entering hospitals, 40 days since the last community transmission, and 22 days since that person finished their self-isolation, New Zealand is looking to restart its economy by lowering preventative measures to the lowest level. So, you know, there's good news on that front where the illusion is wearing thin in some countries. Uh, we have the CNN story, U.S. South, South Police, what would that look like? Definitely worth getting into more. So two quick stories we're going to cover today uh, that CJ wanted us to get into yesterday, at least very quickly. Poll from MSNBC.com. Are you considering voting for the Libertarian Party nominee? And when I see this, you know, Part of me is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little suspicious. Like, hey, you know, is this is this too good to be true? Is this is this some some clickbaity thing that that MSNBC is is setting up where they're they're just trying to drive liberal? Like, now you think about this: if you're MSNBC and you want to distract libertarians with a meaningless, like, is, in and of itself, is this poll gonna get picked up? By by other major media outlets with a, a, a status bias, no. But uh, you know, MSNBC gets to play this little trick on libertarians and be like, "Look, if we put out this poll and we make it really easy for people to say something pro-libertarian, CJ, go ahead and click yes there on the poll in the graphic. Are you considering voting for the Libertarian Party nominee? Now, I, I mean, I'm 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 kind of suspicious here, right? That, like the language is soft, which is good. I mean, that's like, that it's being deliberately inclusive. I like that. But the, the Libertarian Party nominee doesn't say for president, doesn't say Joe Jorgensen. I think most of now we nominated a female. Great opportunity in the world of identity politics, which I want nothing to do with, other than winning them over away from that, right? But Jo. Uh, you know, people would assume, like, that's a female name, I think, in this day and age. That's spelling as well as J-O-E. That, if, if MSNBC was trying to do libertarians a favor, I, I you know, I, I don't want to look a gift horse too hard in the mouth, but uh, that that might be what's happening here. Now, CJ, pull that up on full screen again, uh, the, the, the results of the poll, because this is very exciting. Now, when I first saw this poll, a couple of days ago, it was a little bit lower than this, actually, for a percent. But it was only 30, or 3,000-something votes. Now, CJ, this is really, really exciting 
Because now it's up to 85% with 44,000 votes. Now, this tells me a couple things. One, libertarians have been whipping this poll. It's libertarians who are sharing this, who are excited about this. And I'm I'm tempted to say, oh, my gosh, are we being suckers for MSNBC driving traffic to their website saying to all of our friends who are considering at least because they've heard us and they like us. They're our friends. We're libertarians. We're outspoken. And they, they'll listen to us. They consider voting for the Libertarian Party nominee. Now, in a sense, uh, we're also showing them something really beautiful that makes it look like the majority of Americans. And when you get it up to 44,000, yeah, it's an MSNBC poll about a libertarian. It's not a random sample, obviously. But it, it's a, wow, that's a big, now, at very least, Cool, libertarians can muster, you know, 30-something thousand votes out of 44,000 total votes to make 85%. Uh, you know, we can whip an online poll to 44,000? That's that's pretty big. That in and of itself is pretty, like, mm, next-level stuff from where we were with, with Gary Johnson and Bill Weld as the nominees, I would think. So I would I, I'm sharing this because I, this is this is overall great news. Even with these like even with my suspicions, or what about this, or what about that? Well, could it be better like this? This is still great news, and it's an opportunity for you to share this poll with your friends. So please share this video, share this poll, but more importantly, let's take this as an opportunity to explain libertarianism to people who, for the first time, are going, "Oh, look at that! The majority of Americans are considering voting." For the Libertarian presidential nominee, Dr. Joe Jorgensen. Uh, yeah. Well, why? What's, <clears throat> what's libertarianism all about? Well, to be a libertarian first, you have to check one little box on our website to be a member of the party. It says, I oppose the use of force to achieve political or social goals. And that really is one of the foundational concepts of freedom and libertarianism. To say that whatever we are going to achieve in coming together as a society, it has to be peaceful, it has to be voluntary, it has to be cooperative. We can't force our will on anyone else. And in the Libertarian Statement of Principles, it says where governments exist, they must be voluntary. It's a pretty powerful statement. And if you've never heard this before, it's because the dominant paradigm today is government by force fraud and coercion, by violence, by violating individual rights. Libertarians are saying, no, we have to change that. Can't be it. Now, you might have heard of it as socially liberal, fiscally conservative, and that doesn't really sum it up at all because we're socially libertarian and fiscally libertarian. We apply the same principles in both areas of policy in a way that makes the whole left-right analysis completely irrelevant because libertarianism is not a political message. It's an ethical message. It's ethics applied to politics. Don't hit, don't steal, don't kill, not unless you're a cop, an IRS agent, or a soldier, or a politician writing some fancy law to justify unethical behavior. Unethical behavior is unethical whether you do it in the name of government or not. We have to make the world a better place by making it a more ethical place, by ending these evils of government. And that's why you should consider 
voting libertarian. But that's really why you should vote libertarian and why this is the best immediate path forward for America, regardless of your personal aesthetics in your ideology. Because a libertarian is someone who says, you can be as liberal or as conservative as you want, as long as you don't force it on anybody. And what the Libertarian Party is offering America in 2020 is victory with principle. Dr. Joe Jorgensen has said that she would pardon everybody she possibly could as president for victimless crimes. That would be transformative. It would mean an end of the drug war. It would mean an end to involuntary taxation. It would mean an end to the Federal Reserve monopoly because you would be allowed to explore alternative currencies and market money that serves the people instead of the banks without being prosecuted by government under legal tender laws. What we are offering America is a real alternative from the duopoly. And what's the difference between Republicans and Democrats? It's kind of like the difference between going off a cliff at 70 miles an hour or 80 miles an hour. Elect Dr. Joe Jorgensen for president and Spike Cohen for vice president, and we can grab the steering wheel and go in a fundamentally different direction to avoid the disaster that the duopoly is setting us up for. So I'm very heartened by this poll to see that potentially 85% of Americans are considering voting libertarian. If enough of you now take the time to consider what it actually means to be a libertarian, well, I bet that most of you would agree with us. We need to stop the duopoly. And you'll vote libertarian in 2020, and we just might win this one. And that's all the time. Wait, no, I'm sorry. One more show, one more story. But now I spent way more time on that one than I meant to. But I'm glad I did. I hope that I hope that provides a good little video that you guys can share to encourage people to consider voting Libertarian and supporting Joe Jorgensen and, and one that's useful for her campaign in the coming months. The other story that CJ really wanted me to get to today, now we're 20 minutes over time, uh, 18 minutes long on the show. He wanted to get into uh, DE agents held sex parties with women hired by cartels. That's going to have to wait. That's a teaser. I kind of like how we're doing this unintentionally. Adam piles up a bunch of news stories, doesn't get to them. They turn into teasers for tomorrow's show. We're going to get into some of these in more depth with tomorrow. Open line Friday, taking calls and focusing on your comments. We don't really have yeah, – he's going to put it up on the screen anyway. No, no, no. Save it. That's the teaser. That's enough, CJ. People that get DEA agents held sex parties with women hired by cartels. Yeah, that headline begs an explanation. There you go. There it is, thefreedomline.com. Thank you for getting that up, CJ. Jim, top comments here. What are we doing? We, are we going to award somebody uh, membership? Because we, we could say, screw you, you're all a bunch of losers. <laughs> Nobody has the best be. comment. No, but there's, I guess, uh, I mean, it, Draco, Draco is already in the Producers Club, right? Right. Because so guess... he, he bought in for $20 last Friday, if I recall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we could award it to Draco and say we're not we're not increase, increasing the ranks of the producers club today, or we could give it to CJ also. So this is how the producers club 
maintains its standard of excellence. If we say that we're giving away a producer club membership to the best comment today, you guys keep coming in with all of your great comments and make sure that if someone's going to come in, they have to prove their worth, either $10 a month or a really good comment to join the producer's club. Yeah, I think I'm confident today calling this one for Draco for getting us to, to, to watch the uh, Troompa Loompa video. I, I think there could be a better version where it's actually like in the lyrics and, and, the, and the melody. Yeah, and I like his lyrics Trump in his song better. Yeah, yeah, Draco had better lyrics. So if Draco uh, put his lyrics into that video, it would be awesome. Troompa Loompa Doompa Dee Dee Everything Trump does looks good to me. There we go. I did it right that time. All right. Thank you so much. Congratulations, Draco. You win the internet today, or at least the Adam versus the Man Producers Club Contest of the Day. CJ, any uh, final producer notes? I know you got something you want to say about the last stories there. CJ, CJ, CJ. Welcome to the stage. You can't hear me? Oh, I got my mic. Got you now. We'll get to the, tomorrow, to the story tomorrow, sir. Uh, the, but the fact that our taxpayer dollars are being used to fund sex parties for DEA agents is certainly one that is in the realm that we should be certainly talking about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We got to all except five of the headlines I wanted to get to today. So all in all, great news digest kind of day. Even though we started with that long feature on uh, they, they uh, don't be a sucker. I think that was. Um, Right, that's not, that's yeah, really, great cover on really that. Really worthwhile segment. Great cover on that for sure. Again, hey, if you win the contest on any given day to join the Producers Club, contact me, the executive producer, at producer at com, and that way we can make sure that you get forwarded over to Jim to get added to the Telegram chat. And that's all I've got for today, sir. All right, well, with that being said, peace and love, y'all. Choose happiness and be excellent to each other. Thank <laughs> you.